Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. When you're willing and able, grab a Bible and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the classic place in Scripture that talks to us about the single life. Now, many of us went through marriage counseling. How many of us went through singleness counseling? Anybody go through singleness counseling? Anybody? Anybody? No one? How many of you at one time in your life have been single? And yet none of us went through counseling. Interesting. What do you learn about singleness in Scripture? Well, in the larger context of 1 Corinthians, it reveals at least this much. First, marriage and singleness, like all matters, are to be viewed in light of eternity with a gospel framework that is centered on Jesus Christ. Paul himself was single at the time he wrote 1 Corinthians. Marriage and singleness are both legitimate options for the Christian to live out their calling. Marriage is hard, but a tremendous blessing for our growth in holiness and grace. The 50 cent word you give to that is sanctification. Singleness is hard, but also a tremendous blessing for our growth in holiness and grace. All of life's choices are based upon the unique providence and gifting that God has given to them. Marriage and singleness include anxieties, but of different sorts. Marriage and singleness necessitates prayer and spiritual discipline. Marriage and singleness require community to enjoy God and glorify him. The Christian community must respect both the marrieds and the singles and hold them in high regard. The Christian community must also equip marrieds and singleness with the, the skills necessary to be devoted to the things of God in their season and in their position within the larger Christian community. Now, there's a ton more things you can pull just from this context, but at least you can hear this. Marriage and singleness are unique gifts from God. 
And so, we might say the main point is this. If you can be single, you should be. But if you burn with desire to be married, you should get married. Now, that doesn't seem like rocket science. But if you can be single, you should be. But if you burn with desire to be married, you should be married. Now, this is the point that Paul is trying to communicate. Marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. What's the sermon about today? Marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. And there's this incredible temptation in the church to somehow raise up married life as though it were, were greater than the single life. And the truth of the matter be known is that Genesis 2.18 encourages marriage. And it is the norm and the default for the callings of most Christians, but not all. And God gives a unique call to some to practice celibacy. That is, that they don't feel the need or the desire of their sexual passions to be met within the confines of marriage. And they have what Paul calls a gift, a gift of singleness. If you can't be single, you should be. But if you burn with passion to be married, then get married. Because marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. Now, let's look at the text together. Verse 6. It says, Paul says, Now as a concession, not as a command. What does he mean? Well, commentators are, are, are uh, divided here. Some think that, the, that what Paul says, it's a concession. It's a concession to get married. The normal life is single life. That is not what I believe the, the passage is teaching. What Paul is saying here is it's a concession for you if you are married to have seasons where you abstain from physical intimacy for the purpose of prayer which we talked about last week and touched a nerve for many marriages and your marriage wasn't alone. It touched a nerve for many of those of you who are married on this very intimate and very personal issue. And Paul says, this is a concession. Like it's okay to not regularly practice physical intimacy for seasons of prayer. That's a concession, Paul says, not a command because the norm, of course, is that you are regularly enjoying each other as husband and wife in that way. He says it's a concession, not a command. And he laid down duties for those of us who are married. And he said, but not all are called to be married. So, Paul then goes on to say, I wish that all were as I myself am. What does he mean by that? Most commentaries commentators believe that Paul is meaning two things. One, yes, he happens to be single at the time, right? Whether he was always single or he was a widower or, or perhaps divorced, we don't have enough information to know. But certainly commentators think that Paul also meant that I wish all of you had the perspective that I have of the body. In Corinth, they had created this dualistic notion that the body and the soul were somehow separate and that therefore people were just abstaining from physical intimacy in marriage in order to keep the wife pure while the husband ran around. 
Or they were saying, it doesn't really matter. There's no ethics. Just do whatever we want. And Paul says, no, I wish all of you were like I am. And that have, we have a holistic understanding of the relationship between the body and the soul. You can't, you can't separate those and like hermetically seal them off. They're connected. Unlike Roman ancient religion, which basically said there's no ethics. It's just external rights. Paul says that what you do in the body matters. And so we are to use the whole of our life and every aspect of it, even our physical lives, to submit them to the Lord and to use our bodies to honor our spouse because our bodies aren't even our own. They belong to our spouse. And our spouse's bodies belong to us. Paul is single at the time that he writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. But it is, it is unlikely that he was always single. And again, we don't know what his situation was. But in the Old Testament collection of the oral tradition, in Hebrew, uh, it's called the Talmud. It's the collection of all the rabbis' teaching. And the Jewish men were required to be married and to beget children, according to the Mishnah, which is one of the parts of the Talmud. One famous rabbi named Rabbi Eleazar said, any man who has no wife is no proper man at all. Other rabbis taught that God watches a man to see when he will marry, and then as soon as one attains 20 and is not married, God exclaims, blasted be his bones. Makes God sound like a pirate. But Paul may have been a widower. He may have been divorced. We simply do not know. If Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, then undoubtedly he was at one time married because to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you in fact had to be married. So Paul will mention the enormous benefits of what it's like to be single later on in this chapter. But for now, Paul is trying to drill home this idea that it is not a necessity that everybody in the church be married. And in fact, it is the diversity of married couples and singles which reflect to the world the beauty of the diversity of God's people. It's not just a racial diversity, but it's also a relational diversity, a positional diversity. And so Paul says... It is better, if you cannot exercise self-control, to get married. And to, to burn with passion was a euphemism for having sexual desire. So, what's the application? Teenagers, each of you must consider whether you have the gift of marriage or of singleness. And both are equally honorable to the Lord. Singles you must consider whether you have the gift of singleness or whether you, without being able to exercise self-control, should be married. Marrieds, you're stuck. You're married. Now, you know what I mean by that, but it is far better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. And so we have to recognize the tensions and the thrusts of the Christian community and the essential role that it plays for one another. Notice that when Paul teaches this, he's teaching it in the context of a larger sense of community in Corinth. So let's integrate this, this teaching into our gospel worldview formation for just a second. 
The church as a community is not defined by laws. It is defined by grace. Every other organization you join is defined by laws. The church is the one place in the world that is defined by grace. And when a church is defined by grace, the bonds of unity are actually far deeper and stronger than if it were to be defined by law. Cults are defined by law. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is defined by grace. What do I mean? What I mean is that it is not a law that you have to be single or married in this church. There's going to be both. And there is grace shown toward those who are single and those who are married. If you are single, we want you to be involved in every aspect of church life. We want you to use your gifts to glorify God. We want you to be, as Paul says, like he is, to be freed from the anxieties of married life and of children, to be able to focus and to enjoy serving his church. Sometimes people will say, well, marriage, like, like I, just, I just long to have a family if I'm single. But you may feel the tension in your heart. Like you, you, you feel called to be single. And we just want to be the people to just say, yes, be single. You are not losing out on anything by being single for the glory of God. Mark chapter 10, Jesus, Jesus says that Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or land for my sakes and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Question. You who have given up houses and mothers and fathers and brothers and children, who are your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children. Look around. He's given you hundreds of them. Married couples, for those of you who could not have children, the Lord has given you children called covenant children. Now I know it's not the same and I'm not making light of the tensions and the desires you have to have children, but look at the Lord who is, he's given you children. They're called the covenant kids of this church and you are to love them well and you are to treat them like your own and you are to encourage them all the days of your life and you are to know them and you are to know those families and you are to encourage them and singles, you have, you have children. You have these covenant kids. They are yours. You have brothers and sisters. In the, in the family of faith. Jesus is now in this life you will have those. And so where is your family, O oh singles? It's in the church. We are your family. And we are the ones who want to encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you live out your gifts and calling and celebrate with you should that position change. Because it's not wrong to burn with passion. It's not wrong to desire to get married. The question is, are you able to direct that desire in a way that honors and glorifies God? So, we as a church community are defined by grace and we need each other in order to represent 
the true and living family of God that God has given to you. Yes, you have responsibilities to your own family, yes. But this church is also a family, even as, as Faith earlier intimated. We are a family. We care for each other. We fight for each other. Whatever your position in life happens to be. And in fact, one of the reasons why being in public worship, and I know some of you can't be because you're ill. I get it. I get it. This is not, I'm not talking about you without you. But one of the reasons why public worship is so important is because it is the two-minute conversation that you have with people face-to-face that is like the oil that lubes the gears of fellowship in our church. That's what you miss. And you know what this is like. It's like it's the fellowship. It's the aim discipleship time. It's the coming together. Like that is the beauty of being the body of Christ, whatever your position might be. Paul wants us to be a community that is oiled together, lubed together with the grace of the gospel, whether you are married or whether you are single, because we are both in light of eternity. And the radical diversity of callings in this church manifest before the watching world a gospel witness. That's gospel integration number one. You are a church community held together by the grace of the gospel, which creates a tighter knit than any law ever could. Now, the gospel integration number two is that God's providence provides opportunity for our own unique gifts. God's decree, if you're in Paul Delorier's class, you'll learn that God's decree is worked out through works of creation and his providence. When I was 26 years old, I was at the very end of my seminary uh, training and living in Dallas, Texas. My eyes were on the future. Um, But about five years before that, I fell asleep driving home from a retreat and my car flipped. And my car was totaled, and there were a group of guys at AM who took me in and became, man, they were, they helped me heal away from my parents. They, they, they helped me, they helped me get to class when I was, when I wasn't feeling well. They, they took notes for me. They came around me, and these men introduced me into this quasi-fraternity that I joined when I was in college, a great group of guys. And one of those guys was a guy named Jay, who I lived with. When I moved to Dallas to go to seminary, he, he was working at Ernst & Young. We were good friends from college. We lived together in Dallas. Jay happened to live with a family in Fort Worth, Texas, when he was doing a college summer internship several years before that. And they had a daughter who let her roommate pick where they were going to go live in Dallas. She was starting nursing school. In the thousands of apartment complexes, they picked ours. And of the dozens of so buildings, they picked ours. And of the five hallways, they picked ours. And several doors down from our apartment was this daughter of a family with whom my college roommate or my my seminary roommate was close with. And her name happened to be Lauren Usry. And so Lauren and I met and we got married. But had I not had a fallen asleep driving in my car my freshman year and had these guys not taken me in and how Jay and I not decided to live together and had Lauren's roommate not pick the exact same apartment complex we lived in. Who knows if we would have been married? Who knows? And so if you're single, don't pray you fall asleep driving. 
But you'll be able to look back at your life one day, someday, and see God has orchestrated the most minute details of life in such a way to bring us together. And all of you can tell stories about your own relationships in the same way. The way the Lord has intricately woven your life together with those whom you now call husband or you call your wife. And if you're single, enjoy God. Glorify him and enjoy him forever. And you don't have anything You don't like anything for God to use you if you have the gift of singleness. And you should serve now. It'll be true if you're married, you can look back and see the circumstances of life. But even now, you can see the circumstances of your singleness. And rejoice in God's providence in your life because God uses his providence to help us shape and mold and to use our gifts. You can't see it going forward, but looking back, it is amazing to see how he has worked in your life. And if you're single and you want to be married, let me just say something very clearly. You didn't mess it up. God has not left you. He knows exactly the timing of his providence in your life should you desire to be married. Because the truth of the matter is that whether you are single or if you are married, you deal with temptations in a very powerful and a very real way. Marriage, by way of application, will not stop your burning desire to sin, but it will provide resources to turn it for God-glorifying purposes. If you burn with, with passion to be married, and you think, oh, marriage, yes, that's my solution. Do not idolize marriage. Amen, married people. Marriage will use you, it will break you, it will remold you into its own image if you idolize marriage. So whether you're single or you're married, your eyes are on the Lord. Lord, use me for your glory's sake. Here's a candid testimony from a friend. During my time in professional school, I fell in love with a wonderful Christian woman and we married soon after. Finally, I thought, surely marriage would fix me. Marriage was what I needed in order to quit doing the things that had brought me so much pain. And it did work for a while. But gradually, the same old sexually addictive behavior crept back into my life. And I told myself that I was only trying to reduce the stress resulting from my job. I thought, once we have children, I would stop. I would have to stop. But the children came and my sin did not stop. Against a backdrop of frequent self-pleasuring and and binging on pornography, I kept trying to find a way to stop, believing that God and I would sort all of this out and that no one else needed to know. And when I was in my mid-30s, my family and I were members of a small Reformed church in the Midwest. And I was approached about serving in the role as an elder, And I resisted at first, feeling like a hypocrite. But after repeated overtures from the pastor and the godly men in the church's session, I agreed to have my name placed before the congregation. I told myself that if I were elected to the office of a ruling elder, I would have to stop doing what brought so much shame and guilt. And I was elected to the office of ruling elder and ordained. 
But much to my disappointment, the miraculous healing I was seeking did not materialize. And it was not long before I was engaging in the same old addictive patterns, at times contemplating whether suicide wouldn't be a better alternative. Honest thoughts from a man's journal. Now, marriage is the context to meeting the needs you have of sexual desire, but it is not the cure. It is not the cure. Christ is the cure. And seeing even marriage as just a shadow, just a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Seeing marriage as a cure to your sin patterns and habits is idolatry. It's like a person who has a vitamin D deficiency going to the beach and hiding in a sleeping bag. Well, I'm at the beach. Well, yeah, you're at the beach, buddy, but unlock the sleeping bag. Get out. Bring your addiction into the light if you're married. Singles, if you're married and you're addicted, bring it into the light. Notice that Paul says, if you burn, he's giving you an option, a resource of where to direct that. Guys, pornography, women, pornography is so rapidly available. You could fuel your desire and you could trick yourself into meeting that need in ways that are totally toxic. Like drinking salt water when you're adrift at sea, thinking that somehow you're going to provide nourishment to your body. Listen, Paul says marriage and singleness are both legitimate expressions of God's gift uniquely given to you. What is your gift? And singles, if you have the gift of celibacy, we just want to, we want to be the people on the front row to applaud and clap and say, yes, well done. You're doing it. Because God promises those who remain single Christian blessings that are better than the blessings of marriage and children if you have that gift. God's blessings to you are better than that of marriage and children if you have the gift of singleness. Don't think you're missing out if you have that gift. You're not. Clement of Alexandria said, such a person, that is a person who cannot exercise self-control, is not sinning against the covenant by marrying, but neither is he fulfilling the highest purpose of gospel ethics. Why? Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Singleness or marriage is not your chief end. Marriage and singleness are only like the fish tank. They are the environment in which you are to thrive and you are to grow. They are your context. They are not your cure. Only Christ is the cure. But it's lonely if you're single. And church, here's your opportunity. Are you welcoming singles into your community group? Singles, are you initiating relationships? Do you want mothers and children and sisters and brothers a hundredfold what you have now? You have them in the church if you will learn to lean into her and to allow the church to be your family apart from family. Too often, many of us get married, and when we get married, we say, you know what, my commitment is to my wife, and we cut ourselves off from the church. 
And in the Old Testament, yes, a man was to be married to his bride and they were to go and they were to enjoy each other and start a good foundation for their marriage. But they were to return to the covenant community and be integrated into the life of the covenant community. Married couples, you will not be spiritually healthy apart from the church. Singles, you will not be spiritually healthy apart from the community that's defined by grace, not law. Because we are a body of whom our head himself gave up his mother. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son, Jesus said on the cross. Jesus gave up his father. He said, Father, take this cup from me. And the father on the cross cut him off from fellowship. Jesus is the one who gave up children. He was, he was single his entire life. And yet he had children and the disciples and everyone who called him their savior. And so in the most intimate of way, Christianity offers you the deepest satisfaction of the most ardent desires of your soul. Because there is one who knows what it's like to be rejected. There is one who knows what it's like to be childless. There is one who knows what it's like to have lost their mother. There is one who knows what it's like to be waiting for their ultimate spouse in glory. Even as Christ is waiting to bring home his church holy and blameless before him at the end of time when we shall be united with our husband, the Lord Christ. In a beautiful way of which all of your life, every relationship, especially marriage, is just an echo of a tune you haven't fully heard or the scent of a flower you have never seen. That's the beauty of the gospel. And it strengthens us to know that there is no second-class status for a community that's defined by grace over law. We are defined according to the gifts that God has given us, whether it is single or whether it is married. And may we glorify the Lord in whatever position to which our gift calls us. Now notice, to conclude, he says to the unmarried and to the widows, the unmarried meant all who were unmarried, not just widowers, but all who were unmarried. He says, it's good for you to remain single as I am. But if you can't exercise self-control, then you should get married. That's not a piece of advice. That's a command in Greek. You should get married. Because you live in an environment that is so wrought with temptation that marriage is the context which you will flourish and which you will be able to fight your sin better. And we do so because we have a Father in heaven who loves us <laughs> and who has called us according to our own unique gifts for his glory's sake. And we look now to his table to strengthen us in our own gifts, whether we're called to be married or we're called to be single, because we look to Christ, the one who is preparing for himself a bride, beautifully adorned, and you are that bride. Let's be it together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us, whatever our gift might be, married or single, to see that both are gifts from you.
Lord, would you help us if we burn with desire to be able to channel that desire in the right way? Lord, would you give those who are addicted to sexual sin the courage to confess that? Would you help them to bring it into the light? Would you supply them with the resources that they need? And Lord, would you take now these offerings and these tithes and may we glorify you through them just as we use your gifts of our position in life to serve you. May we also use the material resources that you've given us as your stewards for your glory. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.